especially nowadays, uh, politics are seeming to be the most important thing that they need to be involved in. Everything, every aspect of your life has to be political. And I, I can't really agree with that either. Welcome to Contentious Talks, a weekly podcast where we talk to influencers, celebrities, politicians, and everyday people to show that we all have differing opinions, and that's a great thing. I'm your host, Ryan Malinowski, and today we're talking with Brad Fleischer. Hey, Brad. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, let's see. I was born and raised in New Jersey. Get out of the car. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I would tell myself that, too, if I I was just learning that. (laughs) I hate that state. (laughs) Um... Yeah, born and raised there. I lived there until I was old enough to not live there and moved out quickly afterward. Uh, Let's see. I went to Messiah College for a year and ironically started doing drugs while I was there. It's a good college for Uh, that, actually. Apparently so, yeah. I learned quite a bit about it while I was there. Obviously, I failed miserably because of drug use and then stayed in that lifestyle out here, kind of homeless for two and a half years, um, and I'm giving you like the short version, which is fine. Um, and then the Lord brought me quickly out of that. Jesus brought me quickly out of that, and uh, miraculously sobered me up when I was high on mushrooms, of all things. And I remember hearing His voice. And then, in an instant, I was immediately fine. Like, I wasn't I wasn't hallucinating anymore. It was just, boom, done. And that's when I started going to uh, the Brethren in Christ Church, McVick, and <clears throat> started turning my life back around. That was, uh, let's see, I was 18 when I started, so 18, 19, 20. That was, like, shortly after my 21st birthday is when all that stuff happened, and I was brought out of drug use, and then I started turning my life around, had a girlfriend at the time, broke up with her, met my wife, we dated for a little while, we broke up, uh, we actually broke up a couple of times before we were married, which is kind of funny, and then, but then we eventually got married, because I knew when we met that we were supposed to get married, she just didn't get that memo until like a year later (laughs) so uh, we finally got married and that was 11 years ago this past 8th of August so that's how long cool yep and thanks in the time we've had four kids Uh, my oldest is eight and then the next one is six and um, the last time we had kids, the hospital apparently had a two-for-one special. And so we had two kids that time. We had twins. <laughs> and they're, they're three years old. They'll be four in November. Early on in our marriage, we moved to Oklahoma for two years so that I could go to Bible school, which I went to uh, Rama Bible Training Center. And that was a really awesome time. We, we led a drug and alcohol ministry while we were down there and had people 
delivered from the same thing I was delivered from and a lot of other things and we ministered to people who had like boundary issues and relational issues and stuff and that was really really good solid like faith um, foundational work that we did down there um, and then we moved back up here to start our family and we've been pretty much living here ever since Cool. Yeah. So let's rewind a minute. Mm-hmm. You uh, you start your life out in Najazi. Yes. Did I do that pretty well? Yeah. Uh, uh, no, not at all. No, but that's okay. <laughs> so you grew up in New Jersey. Talk to me about that. Uh. Well. Um. What was that like? I grew up in a suburb of New York City. Um. So about I could probably, if I was playing golf and I was a professional, I could probably hit a golf ball to the river that separated New Jersey from New York after hitting it a few times. (laughs) Um, It was about a 25-minute ride on a train into the city. Which is the best way to get there. Yes, absolutely. You don't ever want to drive there. God help you if you drive to that city. I always drive to, like, Trenton or something like that Yeah, pick up the train. Yeah, and actually a train station was right in my town. Oh, cool. uh, New Jersey is where I'm from. And uh, growing up in that town. It was kind of a rough neighborhood. It was right beside one of the roughest neighborhoods uh, in my area. And so a lot of the time I would see like gangs and stuff kind of hanging out in the street. It probably wasn't as bad as it was as like things are today, but it was still like, you know, my parents would always tell me try not to be out too late. And I mean, these were the days where you would say, hey, I'm going to play. And your parents would say, all right, just be back by dinner, you know. And if you're not back by dinner, then, you know. They assumed you were dead. Yeah. <laughs> they assumed you dead. And they just created a new offspring and forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So you try not to... Uh... <laughs> that just doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't. Not like that. My parents were divorced when I was eight. Okay. And so I... Like, my dad didn't live too far away, which was nice, but I, we lived with mom and my dad had visitation rights. Okay. Um... And so I think that created kind of a weird, I mean, obviously in a split and divided home like that, it's going to create some odd tensions and things that kids shouldn't be dealing with, like uh, splitting loyalty and anything like that. That's that's interesting because I feel like it's, like, I, I doubt there's any studies on this, but just from talking to people, like, I feel like it's rare that dad stays so close to somebody yeah you know um and my dad did when my parents got divorced my dad did the same thing he moved like 10 minutes away yeah and uh so we we pretty we stayed in new jersey and my dad he actually lived around the block so i could walk to his house which was nice that's nice um and when i started getting older like in my teenage years um i would often spend days at his house i wouldn't just like stay with mom i would I would say, hey, mom, I'm going to see dad, and I'll be there for a few days. And so that was, I think that was good for our relationship. Um, But dad brought me to uh, a Baptist church that he went to, um, and I got involved with their youth group and came to see the Lord there and came to the Lord through that youth group. And I really loved the pastor at that church, the youth pastor, and uh, he, every year, one of the best things about that youth group was every winter in February, we would take a trip to Gore Mountain in upstate New York, Mm -hmm. and we would go snowboarding for three days straight. Oh, cool. It was amazing. 
and we would actually have to take like a day off from school to do that. And of course, I love that as a right, you know a teenager. Sure. But like we'd go boarding during the day, and then we'd come home. Well, home being the camp that we were staying at, and we'd have like two or three sessions of Bible study that a speaker would put on that they would that he would bring in. Right on. And that was really awesome. Uh, trying to think what else. Oh, uh, when 9/11 happened, mm-hmm. do you remember where you were? Yeah, it's interesting. We just I just talked about this on the last podcast I recorded. Uh, I was home from school that day. I wasn't feeling well, ironically. And I get up at like I don't know 10 a.m. something like that. Sure. I think I was in ninth grade at the time. That makes sense. Yeah, because you're you're 33, right? Or are you 32? Uh, I'm 32. Okay. I'm 34, so... I'm at the point where I have to think about it. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I remember I came downstairs, because my bedroom was upstairs, I came downstairs and the TV was on, and I didn't, I, I didn't see the TV, I just went into my kitchen, and my sister was also home from school for some strange reason, and she goes, so there's no more Twin Towers anymore. I was like, what? What do you mean? Like... No more Twin Towers? She goes, yeah, a couple of planes hit them. They're down now. And I went back and saw the TV, and I saw the smoke coming out and stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, I guess it's real. My sister wasn't just kidding with me, because my sister would often do stuff like that. Um, but the cool part, the only reason I bring that up is because where I lived, there was a an overlook called uh, Washington's Outlook or something like that. I forget it. Washington Rock. It was a rock way up on a mountain that apparently George Washington himself stood to watch for British troops coming through the valley uh, where we lived. And so we went up there and from that point you could see the skyline of New York really well. And so we went up there and we saw the smoke coming up from the island. And that was, and it was thick and it was heavy. It was like a big, big fire was just, and obviously it was a fire, but it was really interesting to be able to see that as a kid and kind of confirm, wow, that really happened. It's not just on TV. Yeah. So, yeah, that was one of the, one of the most interesting memories I have of living in New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, not neat about 9-11, but yeah. I, I understand why that would be a very formative memory. Yeah. For you, so. Well, yeah, as a child or as like a preteen. Well, you're used to seeing all this stuff on TV on and TV. then it, you see it on TV and you confirm it in real life and it's like, okay. Yeah. You know, some of this stuff is actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was definitely one of the most interesting, uh, things about growing up in New Jersey is being able to see that in particular. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I remember is there was this really big, like, blizzard that happened in the 90s, in the early 90s. Yeah, sure. And, uh, I remember being stuck at home for, like, five or six days, something like that, because mm-hmm. it was so thick. Um, other than that, I mean, it's... I didn't know much about government and about politics and stuff like that when I was a kid. I didn't really care. Um, I had to be an adult before I started caring about political issues. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really pay attention to anything, but my dad did. And he would often vent to me about things. Uh, my dad would often vent to me about things that he was wrestling with because he is a, 
he's a conservative and the rest the entire rest of my family are all liberals and so he's like standalone by himself a Christian conservative man in the midst of all these leftist mm. thinkers um, and early on you know 20 25 years ago it wasn't as stark of a difference as it is now unfortunately sure but um, there were still things that like major things that we would disagree on um, not my dad and I but my dad and his and the rest of his kin and so that was the other thing I I remember growing up is that anytime I'd go on a car ride with my dad he'd always have like Glenn Beck or uh, uh, Hannity Sean Hannity or Rush on on the radio and he'd always say, all right, Brad, like, make sure you pay attention to this because he's saying something really important. So that was that was good. A lot of good formative memories with my dad and I like that. Cool. Yeah. Sounds like you had a close relationship with him. Yeah, and we still do. I just I don't get to see him as often as I'd like. Um, and my mom recently moved to Arizona, of all places. Love Arizona. Yeah. I hear it's really nice out there. But it is like, but it's very far away. It's very far, <laughs> and so we have, you know, I have really good memories of seeing my grandmother growing up, mm-hmm. and because she lived like 20, 25 minutes away from where we lived, okay, and so it was really easy to go and see her. But I can't give those kind of memories to my kids now because. You got 18 of them, and it's expensive to ship them halfway across exactly. So. <laughs> I don't want to have to pay that, and you know, I have to put breathing holes in their shipping crates, and I just don't have that kind it's of It's a time. lot of work, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, you brought up politics, yeah. Um, what do you think about the, the state of the world? Everything that, all my opinions are based on uh, my biblical frame. And so, in order for me to share my opinion of the world and the state of of the country, let's just make it America instead of the world. Um, You have to understand that that my point of view is often framed and, and formed based on my interpretation of scripture. And so... Honestly, the state of the country, as divided as it is, because it is divided, uh, it doesn't surprise me. And reason being is because we've been warned about this in the Bible, that there would be wars and rumors of wars, and that there would, you know, father would rise against son, and and son would rise against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Um, Jesus himself talked about that, and how divisions would come and that these are only the beginning of birth pains is what he says and so as terrible as things might seem and as like all these new mandates are coming out to wear a mask or not wear a mask and then to stay home but then to not stay home and this whole virus thing and I've been kind of a conspiracy theorist since I was like maybe 10 15 years ago since I started watching YouTube videos about (laughs) 9-11 and how uh it was an inside job. It was an inside job. And I... I, I, I don't think I... Well, that, so. even that... Like, <laughs> I'm really skeptical of that. But I appreciated the information that they were given. And it made me question things a little more thoroughly. Sure. And so that that's the only reason why I, I entertain those thoughts. Is because... Not because of... You know, I, I am totally convinced that 
like it was a total plan from start to finish. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I have several questions. Well, see, and I, you know, I, I entertain stuff like that because I'm a skeptic. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I take all the information in and I, in, or I output whatever, you know, I let it affect what I already believed or not. All that to say that everybody's being all surprised with, with what 2020 has brought us. I'm not necessarily surprised as much as I am excited to see what's what's going to continue to happen and um, what's what I'm looking for not anticipate but maybe it is anticipate anticipate with eagerness what what else is gonna happen because of all the, the crap that has happened so far it sounds pretty morbid Brad sure it sounds morbid and uh, you know when people die when a lot of people die that's terrible um, yeah, please don't misunderstand me there. What isn't terrible is that this is a sign of the time and that Jesus himself told us that when you see all these things, you should be anticipating that the end is coming because this is the season. It's marking the season of the end. So what you're saying is from your, your faith-based perspective, mm -hmm. um, there's a level of excitement, a level of anticipation because yeah. you're seeing that you're hopeful that, yeah. that you are that you know Jesus will be coming back soon. Yeah. It's a little less morbid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the best way to put it. So thank <laughs> you. Yeah, thank you for clarifying it. Let's talk about the election. Okay. Run down from your perspective, I guess, the uh, the pros and cons of uh, both major players at this point. Okay. Uh, let's set aside um, pro life versus pro choice, um, gun rights versus non gun rights. Let's set all that aside. Right. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think about religious freedom versus non-religious freedom. Uh, it seems, it seems, under Trump, he seems to be encouraging uh, religious freedom and practice of religion. Um, not only that, but he seems to have done a lot as far as advancement of like racial issues and things like that whereas it seems that Biden and his team uh, they are seeking to pursue not necessarily specific policies as much as they're trying to convince everyone that they're for them and so all these fringe groups that claim to be fringe, they're like, yeah, we're for you, so vote for us. I don't really see much in the ways of policy on the Biden team um, as much as I've seen through the Trump team. But that may be because I've been following Trump a little more than Biden. And so that, that might be my unfortunate bias in that situation. Um... But just even from what I saw, like in the the DNC versus the RNC, the excitement that I see of the diversity of people that came and spoke at the Republican National Convention, it was much more diverse, and and they had much more passionate things to say, and they were much more encouraging about the country of America versus Biden, who seemed like he was trying to attack Trump the whole time, which was odd. Like, talk about your policy, talk about why I should be excited to vote for you, not why I shouldn't be excited to vote for the other guy. And sure, both parties do that. Um, and there are things that I haven't disagreed with Trump about, like when he started going after the, the bump stocks on uh, 
assault weapons, I was like, well, what are you doing that for? There's no reason for you to be doing that, you know? Um, and some of the things he says, they don't necessarily jive with what uh, my Christian beliefs say and hold to. And so I'm not just saying I'm a full-on Trump supporter because, uh, like you, I'm a skeptic. And so any any decision that a politician makes, I feel like I have to ask a few questions before I'm like, okay, I'm all right with that. So what uh, what's the biggest thing that concerns you about you know another four years of Trump? It it's it has to be pointed to the uh, the media and the the constant attention that they give to everything negative about the guy. And so I try to take anything that like CNN or MSNBC says with a grain of salt because. They have been caught in lies time after time after time after time. I mean, and so is Fox News and so is everybody else. But the biggest con, I would say, is like the division might get worse in the country. And so the division is bad now because everybody's trying to stoke it. It's an election year. But like we saw after the 2016 election, I think even more so now after the 2020 election, there's going to be division that becomes even more apparent because more and more of the kind of major players that are against Trump are going to come out of the woodwork even more and try to divide the country even more than they already have. Does that make sense? Yes, what you said made sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what's your biggest concern about, you know, Biden presidency? Well, (laughs) the main thing that concerns me about his presidency is that one of his major running components is that he's going to make a nationwide mask mandate where you have to wear a mask as soon as you step out of your house. And first of all, my first question is, how do you know you're still going to be under this pandemic, quote pandemic, in five months from now? You know, January is five, six months away. A whole bunch of stuff can happen in five to six months. How do you know that we're still going to be stuck under that, you know? And, uh, the other thing is, you know, I know I took away the pro-life and pro-choice thing, but that is really concerning to me too, is that typical conservative, take it away and you throw it right back. I know it's terrible. Well, here's the, you'll like this. The main reason why I'm concerned about that is because they want me, the taxpayer to pay for that. If someone chooses to get an abortion, that's their choice. I don't agree with it, but that's their choice. But I shouldn't have to pay for it. If you want to do that, pay for it yourself. Or get a health insurance that helps you pay for it. You should be able to choose the insurance that helps you pay for that. Or you should be at least be willing to pay for that on your own. Does that make sense? That's kind of a libertarian point of view, I think, where you're free to choose it, but just pay for it for yourself. Don't make so, someone else pay for it. So your main concern is is the cost of abortion, is what you're saying? The, 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 the cost to you of someone else's abortion? The, well, yeah, it's more the moral cost of, like, me having to pay for someone to do something that I don't agree with. So the uh, the life of the, the child isn't as important as the cost that it would incur to you? I mean... Of course, the life is more important than the cost. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, I can understand how saying that made it seem that way. I was trying to avoid saying that the life is important because I know that to to other people they don't consider it like life until a certain point in the pregnancy or even after they're born. I've, I had a discussion with an uncle of mine who who was who is a leftist and we uh, I asked him when does life begin and he said well after birth and I said but in the womb the child is alive you know as soon as conception even they start seeing reactions of life and the woman's body forms a womb for life and so life begins way back there but he disagreed with me and we went back and forth for many many times this was over a Facebook messenger which is like one of the worst ways to communicate oh absolutely um, but he just he couldn't understand how I saw life as beginning at conception because I mean to be honest with you according to the Bible life begins even before conception because the Lord says that uh, before you were formed in the womb I knew you um, but ultimately life in this earth begins at, at conception Go ahead, you were going to say something. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, but, yeah, life is important, um, but I'm trying to take it from a, a strictly political point of view, which is more, you know, finances and policy, and so as far as financial is concerned, um, which I know that's not the right way to say it, um, <laughs> as far as finances are concerned, we should be more skeptical of the tax weight that's put on people getting abortions based on other people's taxes. I do want to talk about, you said that you uh, you were addicted to drugs. Yeah. Or I guess, depending on your perspective on it, you are addicted to drugs. Uh, I was. You were. Yeah, okay. not anymore. So talk, talk to me about that. How did, how did that happen? Because it sounds like, you know, for all intents and purposes, you lived a pretty normal childhood. Yeah, my childhood... My sister had experience with drug use. She's three years older than me. Okay. Uh, I have one natural sister and then three uh, younger half-siblings that my dad had with his current wife. Um, but my older sister, she went through a drug use time when I was like a, a younger teenager, but I never engaged with it with her. Thankfully, with my older sister, she made a whole lot of mistakes that I didn't really ever have to make because I saw the consequences of her mistakes. You know, sure. And so I kind of went through life watching her make the mistakes and saying, "I don't think I'm going to do that because I don't want that kind of consequence." <laughs> when I got to college, that was the first time I was left to my own devices because at home I was under kind of my parents' authority and, like, especially my dad, and he kind of guided me through life and was able to <clears throat> kind of help me through certain harder aspects of life, like breaking up with a girlfriend I had for, like, two years in high school. That was really tough, but I went right to my dad, and and he walked me through that in a, in a healthy way, which was really nice. But then as soon as I got to college, um, left to my own devices, I just, I started meeting the wrong people and tried marijuana for the first time and really enjoyed it. Whereas my whole life leading up to that, I knew that it was bad, you know, I, having never tried it. But then when my friend was like, hey, just give it a try, see if you like it. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, a gullible 18-year-old. And I tried it and I really enjoyed it and it made me feel really nice. Um, and 
that was pretty much that. <laughs> I stayed with it and I kept wanting more of it and more of it and more of it. Um, and then about a year down the road, down that road, uh, I met a couple of new friends and they introduced me to like mushrooms and acid. They're like, hey, you should try this. And me being who I was, I was like, oh, okay, sure, I'll, I'll try that, you know. And I did acid three times and mushrooms twice, two or three times, I can't remember. Um, and the experiences I had with those were, were definitely interesting. I don't remember much about my acid trips because that's how acid works. Like, either you really remember it or you don't at all. And thankfully, I have the don't at all side of things. I remember certain snippets of what happened, but it may have just been like surges of sobriety in the middle of 12 hours worth of non-sobriety. Sure. And so th that's the only reason I have certain clips of memories uh, in that time. Mushrooms, on the other hand, you remember almost everything that you do on that. At least I did. And so while the last time I did it, which was when I heard the voice of the Lord uh, calling me back to his presence, um, I remember seeing people as holograms and so like I was stuck on a couch not being able to move and I remember people walking by not looking like solid people but looking like kind of phasing in and out of reality it was really weird and I remember at one point I had to get up to like go to the bathroom or whatever and as I'm walking down the hall to the bathroom the walls are breathing with me like they were moving in and out as I was breathing in and out and the floor was rippling as I was walking on it really really odd hallucinations and then as I'm going to the bathroom the whole bathroom was was expanding and contracting as I was breathing it was really strange um, and I was so overwhelmed with that which is why like the only thing I could do was go to the bathroom once the whole rest of the time I was just stuck on a couch watching people walk past me um, but like I said the Lord miraculously brought me out of that I think because if if that kept going I probably would have like committed suicide or something because it was so intense it was so overwhelming to my senses I just I couldn't handle it um, so yeah that was uh, that was my experience with drug use basically I was a big pothead and so for two and a half years I just I did that almost every day and I often think all the money that I would have saved had I <laughs> not spent money on that, I probably could have uh, a Harley-Davidson motorcycle paid for in cash today. So, were, were you homeless during that time, or...? Um, yeah, I went in and out of homelessness during that time. Uh, early on, after I failed out of Messiah College, I was homeless, and I was homeless for, like, maybe uh, almost a year, I think, and then I finally got some buddies together, and we got an apartment. Uh, in Mechanicsburg. So were you like couch surfing? Or? Interestingly, I was couch surfing at Messiah at a friend's dorm room who was on the first floor, so I was able to crawl in through their window. <laughs> oh, gosh. Whenever I think back on that time, I'm like, what in the world was I doing? <laughs> Do you have something to say? Then consider being on the show. Go to contentioustalks.com slash guest and apply today. That's contentioustalks.com slash guest to apply. Now back to the show. All right, Brad, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing all that, giving us your story a little bit. And uh, 
talking to us about those things. Yeah, man. What we're going to do next is everybody's favorite part of the podcast. It's called the Tough 12. All right. Okay. It's 12 questions, three different categories, four questions each category. The gotcha. categories are politics, philosophy, and personal and religion questions. All right? Gotcha. So, let's start with politics. First question in politics, what is a fair society? I think my libertarian mindset would come out there. A fair society would be uh, everybody is free to practice religion or non-religion as they see fit, uh, unless it poses a threat to other people. In which case, then, you're not free to practice that if you plan on killing a bunch of people. <laughs> um, a free society, or wait, how is it worded? Uh, fair society? Uh, I personally think that taxation is theft, and I think uh, I might be in good company there. At least not all, maybe income taxes is the theft, but I digress there. Um, fair society would be that everyone is free to practice how they feel they should be practicing their life. And so early America would be, I think, a fair society where they came here with the idea, let's create a whole new thing where we can live the way we choose to live. We can, we can live as we see fit. We can provide for our own families. We can be in community with one another, but then we can't like decide I like my community more so I'm gonna impose that onto you and I'm gonna force that onto you I don't think that's fair um, so if a certain community wants slavery bring it on back is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> well no see my my fairness says if you seek to impose your will on someone else that's not okay right and so if if you want slavery that's imposing your will onto someone else and I don't think that's fair. So, how then was it better in early America? Well, without the slavery part, let's let's both agree that slavery was terrible and is terrible. Um, so take away women's right to vote and own property. Well, but else. see, again, that is imposing someone else's will on uh, another person. You you have to you have to take that, and that that's a real loose interpretation because honestly, I've never really thought of that. Like, what would be fair? Um, Obviously, I think Jesus has it the best way of what a fair society is. Like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Um, serving the Lord uh, and being led by the Spirit in serving others. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a fair society. Uh, and if you are loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to make them a slave. You're not going to tell the woman you can't vote. You're not going to tell this, that, or the other, that, like, you, no, sorry, you can't do that because you're a certain other type of person. I'm a little better than you. You know, loving your neighbor as yourself doesn't say that. Sure. So, I think that's probably the best way uh, to interpret that, at least in my point of view. Awesome. What is the number one issue facing society? I think the number one issue that's facing society is uh, absence of dads fathers, like men who rise up and say, I'm not going to leave my children. Even if the dad isn't married to the mom, they still create a core family unit. 
and the the child knows this is my dad and I can count on him being here versus I know my dad but he hates me or I know my dad and he doesn't want me around the times that 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 has been seen where like either I don't know my dad or I know my dad he's not around or I know my dad and he hates me those all those instances has seen a rise in like gang activity and crime and just an overall negative health for the child that's experiencing those emotions so as it stands I think that uh, dads should be more involved in kids lives and not be afraid to be a father next question here okay do politics matter and why that's an interesting question um, I would say uh, yes and no yes they matter because certain issues have to be dealt with politically and um, what those issues are I can't really tell you because I don't have the time or the energy to think about that fully but even in the Bible uh, things were dealt with politically and oftentimes unfortunately like with the religious leaders at the time they were a little aloof to to the side of Jesus's point of view where they would often argue with him about what they think things should or how they think things should be dealt with and he said well you know for example the Sabbath day they said that uh, let me hold the Sabbath in order to do that you have to like not do any work and that even included like walking like they, they couldn't take too many steps on a Sabbath day which is which is I mean, if we think about that we're like what <laughs> you know um, but Jesus he came in and said you know I'm the Lord of the Sabbath let me help you understand what the Sabbath was really about you know and so he took he took their political ideologies and kind of flipped it upside down and said actually it's it's more it's not necessarily a political thing it's more of an, a philosophical thing and so that might be touching on why politics aren't as important as maybe they they are inherently seeming to be especially nowadays uh, politics are seeming to be the most important thing that they need to be involved in everything every aspect of your life has to be political and I I can't really agree with that either because politics should not be involved in where I send my kids to school or you know what church I go to or uh, smaller decisions like uh, grocery store shopping and things like that it shouldn't be involved that heavily awesome so last question here in politics what role should government play well I'm of the thought that the less government the better and so if government kind of leaves you alone as much as possible I feel like that's a good thing um, but the role that government should play is is more on the ground of uh, localized government as far as federal government is concerned maybe they're just checks and balances for what the localized government is doing but then the localized government is is more open to open forum ideas and stuff like that I don't think I'm really answering the question though I mean but. you're saying that government should be more on a local level yeah they uh, should be not necessarily uh, to control how someone decides to live their life but maybe as like a way for someone to check like 
to be sure, like a checks and balances system, maybe, saying like, you know, hey, I have this idea for maybe a business or something like that, and they can check with their local government saying, you know, this doesn't, in, like, back to my previous point, which is like, this doesn't impose my will onto someone else, right? Like, this doesn't make someone else subservient to me, at least on an, on an unwilling basis, whereas, you know, if you have an employee, that's, that's on a willing basis. Do you believe that the local government should be the most important part of government structure? because um, it affects you yeah. more than anything else. Okay. I, yeah, I, I think I could agree with that. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's politics, one category down. Okay. I'm next. wiping the sweat from my brow. <laughs> <laughs> next category is philosophy. First question in philosophy, what is truth? Oftentimes I've heard truth as being defined as relative, and unfortunately it is not. Truth is uh, what stands for absolute scrutiny and so if if you say something that is absolutely true it can withstand any form of scrutiny from any angle and so let's just take a biblical example um the golden rule of love your neighbor as yourself right if we take that as truth anytime from any angle that you look at that that is always beneficial to all parties involved loving your neighbor as yourself and so if you don't love yourself, and then you don't love your neighbor, right, things are going to go bad for you. If you do love yourself and you do love your neighbor as much or even more so as the Bible teaches, that's really good for both parties involved. And so that's a truth. Um, I think another way that truth can be defined is the Word of God. Um, anything that the Lord says should be considered truth, and that's because anything that he says can withstand any kind of scrutiny, no matter how hard someone may try to fight against what the Word of God teaches. It seems that time after time, especially science, has been proving that at least things explained in the Bible have been true the whole time. So truth, in your definition, is something that's verified by an external source and what you're what you're saying is by God well yeah um, it's it's both it's both confirmed by an external source but it's also intrinsic intrinsically uh, authoritative so it has it carries a certain weight and authority about it too so it's not just something that's flippantly taught but it actually carries it can stand on its own two legs as well as uh, withstand a barrage of, of scrutiny as well. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next question under philosophy. Uh, what do you believe about people's ability to change? I believe people can change no matter who they are. Um, being a personal example of someone who's changed from a total deadbeat drug user to uh, a man of God who uh, works full-time and has a family and loves and cares for people. Um, I mean, before we met, Ryan, I think you probably wouldn't have liked me <laughs> as my drug user self. Not that I'm saying I'm putting that on you, but, you I know. I still don't really like you. Yeah, I know. If I were to say that someone can't change, I would be a hypocrite because people absolutely can't change, uh, no matter who they are. And 
you know, I'm of the belief that if Hitler himself came to the Lord Jesus and had a genuine conversion, that Jesus would have accepted him. And that's always been, and as I say that, that's a really tough pill for even me to swallow. But it has to be true, because the Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons. It's repeated at least four times in the Bible, that God has no respect. Basically, that means... uh, not that God doesn't have any respect, but that God uh, doesn't treat people differently. He treats everybody exactly the same. And so if you come to Him with a genuine conversion, you are a changed person and He will accept you. And now the, the process of holiness or being changed into the likeness of Christ is a process, but everybody can do it. I don't care who you are, anybody and everybody can be redeemed and can be changed. Next question here under philosophy, how do you explain consciousness? Oh, that's a good one. Um, ultimately, consciousness is defined by science as self-awareness, uh, which is why artificial intelligence hasn't really happened as of yet. Will it happen? Yeah, I don't know. It might. We'll see. But the other definition, the more philosophical side, which is probably what you're looking for, um, is I think consciousness is a spiritual thing. And so, like an animal, they're, they're conscious, but they're not necessarily conscious as far as a human is concerned, because mankind, we have the life of God in us. You know, he breathed the life, his life into us at creation. He spoke animals into being. And so animals do have a form of consciousness, whereas they know, at least as far as we know, um, that, that they're an animal. But I don't think they understand and philosophize and think for themselves and have thoughts and theories and uh, philosophies and things like that. Obviously, we've never observed an animal uh, holding a pipe and thinking to himself, I wonder, you know, about what life is and things like that. Um, So I think consciousness has a certain spiritual value to it as well where the spirit of man the Bible says that the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord and so as being the candle of the Lord or as being like in today's world we would say a light bulb you know a light bulb plugged into the spirit of God and so if the spirit of God is with us I think that uh, because of our spiritual nature that carries more weight as far as consciousness is concerned that we're aware of who we are uh, or Maybe we're not aware of who we are, but we have questions about who we are. Next question under philosophy. Yes, sir. What exactly makes you, you? Uh, I think it's your spirit that makes you who you are. Ultimately, the, the, the inward man. So when I say spirit, I don't mean like, uh, your personality necessarily because you know people would say oh man he's got a real good spirit about him you know where is or like he's got a really good heart about him I don't think that's what makes you you I think what makes you you is your life experiences um, your philosophy in life uh, how you view yourself and how you uh, view others and how you view uh, the world around you but then as far as your spirit is concerned looking inward at yourself It's not just a conglomeration of experiences, because that's what the Matrix would say. You know, you are the result of a a conglomeration of experiences, whatever that architect guy says in that one scene in the Matrix. Um, 
your spirit is who makes you who you are. And so whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a Muslim or not, whoever you are, your spirit, the, the man on the inside of you, the man or woman on the inside of you is who tells you who you are. And so if you're corrupted, if your spirit has more of a corrupt nature about it, then that's going to start coming out in your personality. If your spirit has more of a, uh, like for me, for example, uh, I'm a believer in Christ, and so my spirit has been reunited with God, and so now that Christian nature, if I allow it to come out, starts coming out. And that branches off onto a whole other topic of philosophy, which we don't have time to get into, but um, ultimately it's about your spiritual nature, who you are, inwardly will affect who you are outwardly. Got it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Two categories down. That's philosophy. Sweet. Um, next category is the personal and religious questions. Okay. Okay. Uh, first question under personal and religion, what do you believe about God? Well, in case you didn't know already, <laughs> based on all, all I've said so far, um, I believe that God has is the beginning, the end. He's been there from the beginning. He was there at the beginning, and he'll be there at the end, and he'll be there past the end. Um, I believe what the Bible teaches about him, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, I believe that he sent his son Jesus um, about 2,000 years ago, just over that, to uh, die on a cross and redeem us back to him. I believe that... He is a greater being than we could possibly imagine, and that he is the reason why we're all here to begin with. He made us, and he planned a family, and so he made a family. Um, Basically everything that the Bible teaches about who he is, that's who I believe him to be. Right on. Yeah. What do you think happens after death? Well, two things can happen after death. Either... Either you go to heaven or you go to hell. Um, I believe that the spirit of mankind, the spirit of a man or a spirit of a woman, is eternal. And the reason I believe that is because of all the stories in the Bible about us. Like, let's say, for example, Lazarus. Um, is it Lazarus? I can't remember who it is, but uh, it's it's this... Yeah, Jesus describes a story about uh, a rich man and Lazarus dying. And the rich man went to a place of torment, it says. And then Lazarus was brought into Abraham's bosom. And so, basically that means that the rich man went to hell, Lazarus was brought up to heaven. And it says that the rich man called out to Abraham from his place of torment and said, Hey, send Lazarus down here so he can, you know, dip his finger in water and touch my tongue with it because I'm in torment. So, I think that the spirit, our spirit lives on and endures past our death. And to be a little more practical about it, uh, when my mother-in-law passed away uh, three years ago, three or four years ago, I can't remember. Um, it was, four, it'll be four years ago this past, or this next January. Um, when she passed away, I remember being in the room and I will swear this up and down that I saw her spirit leave her body and the only reason I knew it was because like as at the time I had heard like when you're around someone who you know is going to die 
try to be a little more open to something spiritual that might happen. And so I was like, all right, here I am with this, with my mother-in-law, and I know that she's going to be passing away soon. So I started saying, you know, Jesus, whatever you want me to see in this time, please let me see it. And it was a minute and a half before she, before her heart stopped. I saw this orange kind of glow leap out of her body and go straight up through the ceiling. It was really cool to see that, but I remember that distinctly, that it was orange and that it was like a, it was an orb almost and it leaped and it leaped like it went, like it really leaped out of her body and went straight through the ceiling. And so with that, it kind of proves that the spirit of man lives on past death. And so you're either going to heaven if you're in Jesus and you have him as your Lord and Savior, or you're going to the other place that is for people, reserved for people who denied Christ. What gives life its meaning? <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, Bill and Ted's excellent, or Bogus Journey. You ever see that movie? I haven't. Um, you should watch it. It's great. It's, okay. it's like one of those quintessential 90s movies. Um, but in that, they ask the same, they're asked the same question, what is the meaning of life? And uh, they respond with, every rose has its thorn, just like every cowboy sings a sad, sad song. You know, it's, <laughs> it's really cheesy, but um, it kind of touches on the philosophy of what the meaning of life is, I think, it, or what the value of life is. It's, uh, it's whatever carries weight and whatever, uh, like in my life in particular, why I'm valuable is because I matter to people. And I have to remember that for myself, too, is that I matter to people who care about me and who love me. And another way that life has value is through love and through concern. And so someone who feels like they are unloved will feel like their life has no value. Whereas somebody who knows they are loved and knows that they are cared for will never be concerned with such matters, right? And so if... If I have a depth of understanding that my children love me, that my wife loves me, that my family loves me, I don't think I'll ever question whether or not my life carries value. Every life has value. Every life has meaning. In order to properly understand that, I think we need to have a system in place in our lives where people are sowing into us love and care and concern, where we know and understand that we are loved, we are cared for, we are concerned for. Cool? Yeah. Last question here. Mm -hmm. What is love? Well, love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious or boils over which else It is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily, it is not boastful. Uh, arrogant and play with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it and pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Uh, it rejoices when right and truth prevail. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love never fails. Um, ultimately, love is... Uh, caring for someone beyond your own self. And so love is putting someone above yourself. And the Bible describes love as being God. And so God is love, love is God. And so ultimately God is love. And if you were to ask me what love is exactly, I would describe everything I just said 
plus it is the nature of who God is. He is love, he is loving, and he cannot define himself without love being a part of it. There you have it. Mm -hmm. We made it through the tough 12. Sweet. So, how can uh, how can people connect with you, find out more about you? They're listening to this. I don't know why they'd feel this way. And they thought, you know what? That Brad guy. I think I might want to talk to him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't want to talk to me. <laughs> um, well, right now, the easiest way is to find me on Facebook. Um because I'm on that the most, I think. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I don't really do a lot on right now, which I'd like to do a little more on. And I plan on doing a little more on soon. Um, you know, without having notes in front of me, it's tough to just go off the cuff with things, which is which is funny. We talked about that earlier. Um, but it's the best... That's my favorite situation. Yeah. Just going off the cuff. I know. Well, me too. I like having to think about things a little more uh, critically in the moment instead of having time to think about it. But when I have time to think about things, I can really go deep with it. And so, uh, find me on YouTube. It's Bradster Dadster. Um, find me on Facebook. It's obviously Brad Fleischer. Um, I'm on Twitter too, but I, I don't do anything on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, I'm also on Instagram, and I don't do anything on Instagram either. I'm not really a social media kind of guy. But if you're going to look for me, Facebook and YouTube are the two places to find me. Next week on Contentious Talks. Look, you know, hindsight is 2020. So I've made a lot of decisions in my life also um, that have led me to where I am that have been based on fear. Um, fear of rejection, fear of um, failure, and Oh, you know those those things that we hear about often, and, and but they they controlled my life. Now he's actually not seeing the full picture of what's happening in this country right now. Like five months ago, I moved away from Maryland, and one of the major factors was because I was actually scared for my life. As a Trump supporter, I can't like New York, Portland you know, uh, Seattle, uh, all, all these bigger places where we see a lot of action. Mm -hmm. If you are a Trump supporter who is wearing any kind of Trump paraphernalia, you are a target. Not just a target for disagreement, you're a target for potentially murder. And then building a, a, a wall on the southern border. Absolutely, I'm Latino. Latinos here in America who make it to America want a wall, okay? It's it's the ones that are that are here illegally. Sorry, it's the ones that are here illegally. Actually, you know what? I'll even say this. There's there are a lot of I'll say a lot, but there are some Latinos that made it here illegally that want the wall. Because they understand that the wall is about security. It's not about hatred for a particular people group. It's about security, and that's why I want the wall. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Contentious Talks. Did you like this episode? If so, consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. To get notified about new episodes, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to connect more, like Contentious Talks on Facebook. 
To support Contentious Talks and for more content, consider joining the Contentious Collective for as little as $1 a month. To do so, visit ContentiousTalks.com today. Contentious Talks is produced, hosted, filmed, and edited by Ryan Malinowski. Contentious Talks, copyright 2021, all rights reserved.